So, Will. Yes. I am an admitted dog lover, as you That's right. You have a dog. I have a dog. The best dog. She wanted to be in the room during recording, but I... Frequently. (laughs) (laughs) Frequently wants to be in the room during recording. Today, I had to work very hard to push her out. But this movie really made me wonder. Many children's movies seem designed specifically to traumatize you in relations to dogs. So I'm wondering, what movie has... You like dogs less, but has any movie ever scarred you emotionally in its depiction of dogs? I don't even know if it's accurate to say that I like dogs less than you, because you genuinely like dogs, and while there are certain dogs that I really like, for the most part, I am at best indifferent to them. Yeah, that's a better- well, I didn't want to say you don't seem to actively dislike dogs. Right, but I prefer not to interact with them at all. Yes, but you're not- you're no Cruella de Vil. No, and I mean, I feel- I feel like that's kind of what I'm getting at, which is that, like- I have a hard time thinking of a dog movie that did traumatize me. In Cruella de Vil, I see a villain, yes, but she is villainous because she does not like, uh, you know, what's-his-face, the blonde fella's trombone playing. I mean, to get into the weirdness of 101 Dalmatians and all Disney movies that involve not only vegetarian humans... By the way, we should just acknowledge by the time this episode comes out, we will have seen Cruella. Oh my god, will we have? That is serendipity but disney movies are portraying these animals as sentient and capable of forming complete thoughts and have a complex social interaction which leads the idea of skinning puppies to make a coat not just like morally reprehensible because it's kind of weird but also these are not (laughs) we're now entering a world where killing a dog is tantamount to murder right and of course like At least in 101 Dalmatians, the humans and dogs do not speak to one another. Like, forget subtext. Like, that is text in The Little Mermaid, where Sebastian is desperately trying not to be put into a salad. Yeah, it just, Disney movies raise so many questions about the sentience of animals and humans' relationship. Because in Ratatouille, if the rat is able to cook, does that not mean that the animals that he is cooking also could probably form these complex thoughts? Or is it positing a world where only rats have this level of intelligence? I don't know. I'm going to say only rats. (laughs) It feels much easier to justify the movie that way. Well, anyway, I guess the point in all this is I can't really think of an experience being traumatized, especially as a child, about something related to dogs in a movie. Maybe I'm misremembering something, but yeah, it's not an experience I've had. So, I mean, one of the prime examples is there's literally a movie called All Dogs Go to Heaven, which is just premised around the idea of dead dogs. And I think it's to show children that when their dogs die, it's okay because they're, like, watching over you or something. I haven't seen the movie in a while. I have never but seen it's this one. Still All Dogs very Go to Heaven strange. is a classic example of a cover that I stared at many times at Blockbuster and said, nah. It's like the never-ending story. Like, I know it exists. I feel vaguely familiar with it because I walked past the VHS cover so many times, but I know nothing about it. It is a movie that Suzanne compelled me to watch on many occasions that I did not care for because it starts with dog death. And, you know, I just couldn't really get on board with that. So was this a recurring issue for you, like trauma through dog movies? Yeah, I mean, uh, Fox and the Hound... I don't even know who dies or if anyone dies in that. I think I just got sad that they weren't friends anymore. Right, there's um, a whole song about it. I cried 
for like 30 minutes after I finished Where the Red Fern Grows. That's a book, but still, just like to show my level of involvement in fictional dogs. Our school librarian read that to us, and the only thing that stuck with me was the very graphic description of the blood bubbling out of the guy's mouth after an axe went through his chest. Uh, the thing with that book that really gets me is less the, like, violent death of the dog at the hands of the mountain lion saving the little boy. It's the vivid detail with which the book describes the other dog withering away and choosing to die now that it's alone. It's a graphic book. It is intense, and I don't know why we let children read it. Because I didn't even remember the fact that someone got an axe to the chest in the book. Did you ever read? This is probably like like a fifth grade book. Uh, no more dead dogs. No. It was... In the way that, like, books become trendy because they're, like, at the Scholastic Book Fair or something, it was, like, that kind of trendy book. And it is about students, I think, like, in middle school, who start a protest movement because they are fed up with the fact that every dog in a book dies. And, like, there are jokes in it about, like, if you pick up a book and there's a dog and a medal on the cover, you know that dog is done for. Yeah, I mean, all of the classic dog books end with dog death, pretty much. Old Yeller... Where the Red Fern Grows. Is my dog Skip a book? I don't know. It's a no, movie that's where the... the dog dies. <laughs> yeah, I, maybe it is a book. I just know it as the movie. There's this scene where they pretend the dog is driving the car. Yeah, it dies. Marley and Me, dog dies. That one is based on a book. We should also remember that Marley and Me was nominated for like, no, or maybe won for best bromantic movie at the MTV Movie Awards. But, Will, was it nominated for any Movies for Grown Ups awards? I know that you have the entire list memorized at this point. Um, I don't think so, but I'm gonna double check right now. The only thing I can think of it being nominated for would be Best Movie for Grown Ups Who Refuse to Grow Up. The weird thing is that wasn't a children's movie, though. It was definitely a family movie, but it, I feel like it wasn't a children's movie. Okay. Correct. Marley and Me was nominated for Best Movie for Grown Ups Who Refused to Grow Up at the 8th AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards. It was nominated alongside Wally, Kung Fu Panda, and City of Ember. Um, there's a clear winner in that list. The four of them lost to Iron Man. It's a weird category. I feel like you shouldn't run Wally with Iron Man. It's a weird category. I still would have picked Wally over Iron Man, personally. Sure. I do think, like, the spirit of grown-ups who refuse to grow up, like, Iron Man is a stronger answer than Wally. Yeah. Because Wally, the prompt, while accessible for children, is also just, like, a movie for grown-ups. Yeah. If you take the prompt at its word, Iron Man is really a film that is designed for adults who did not want to grow up. Yeah. You know, we've, we've covered two of these five. I wonder if we should finish out the set. <laughs> what are the other... Like, oh, we did Kung Fu Panda. Duh. Right. I was like, which one did we do? And it's because I have blocked out all DreamWorks, apparently even the ones I enjoyed. We got to put Monsters vs. Aliens on the schedule. I got to do it soon. Yeah, I am kind of enjoying our long lull of DreamWorks. We got to get back to the crude age. What did we watch last? Was it Crudes? It was the Crudes. It was January. Maybe it's because we wanted to leave a good taste in our mouth and not dive into the well of muck that occasionally has a few gems in it every once in a while oh okay anyway back to a movie that is very traumatizing and related to dogs 
I think I it's time sure to start the show. I wasn't sure if I should tell you what it was about, and I made a very conscious choice not to. I was unhappy, and we'll get into that. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay and unhappy. <laughs> and I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast committed to examining one of the least important issues facing the world today. Does Hollywood, or in this case, South Korean, romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are taking a look at the struggling marriage found in Bong Joon-ho's 2000 debut, Barking Dogs Never Bite. Now, just to start off, I can appreciate this film. And I am able to (laughs) enjoy the aspects of the film and the role dogs play symbolically in their relationship to changing society in South Korea at the time. (laughs) All of that. But also, a dog is hanged by the neck. And then another dog dog lives. That dog, well, that dog lives until he locks it in a closet for it to starve or suffocate to death. Also bad. And then another dog is thrown off a roof. Which I will say, the graphics are not great. And I kind of giggled because the dog falls for a really long time. Well, that's because this movie was made for like a nickel, which is very clear on the screen. Like there's good filmmaking happening, but this was made for a nickel. Yeah, it's very apparent. Also, we should note that the dog that is thrown off the roof is also the one that the lead character is like running down the street low to the ground, scoops up and then like hurls himself over the fence like he's Dr. Doolittle with a seal. Like... It's an incredible leap. I will say, in his defense, Dr. Doolittle threw that seal from a much higher distance. (laughs) Right, no, I'm saying this was more impressive. Yeah, I just... I get it. Look, I get it. (laughs) I have a rational brain. I'm able to process these things. But deep down, I can even... I was spending the time interrogating cultural assumptions about relationships to dogs because this actually is a really interesting depiction of the role of pets in society in general, especially in a society that is rapidly gaining wealth. I get it. But also, I just do not enjoy seeing dogs get hurt on screen at all. And the whole time I'm like, he's complaining about the dog and he blames the dog, but it's never the dog's fault. There's no such thing as a bad dog, only bad owners. Yeah. Uh, I do love, like, every reveal with the dogs is always great. Like, when he finds the first dog that he locks in the cupboard, there's this wonderful filmmaking, like, wonderful cinematography where it's, like, super low to the ground, like, going after the dog or almost, like, in his point of view. And then, you know, the moment when we see the second dog, the one that actually has been causing the problems, and it is just, like, the most, like scrawny rat dog and you're like of course that's the evil dog and the surprise reveal of the third dog it's just great the missing dog poster saying can't make noise because of throat surgery that really got i lost it and i wish i had been able to read korean so i could see the actual text and laugh and even with the subtitle it was quite funny oh yeah it's i listen Especially because I had been watching the movie with my sister, and she pointed out, like, how do we know this is the dog? It hasn't made any noise. I actually did not think about that because I didn't really want to think that he was killing an innocent dog. But also, of course, Bong Joon-ho is just like, 
let's murder an innocent dog and watch it get cooked into a soup. By basement people, like the core aesthetic of Bong Joon-ho. Yeah, he loves a basement person. I I do too, you know, I'm convinced. And what is a train but a very long basement? Right, if you're at the back of the train, you're in the train's basement. I have only seen three Bong Joon-ho movies now. I genuinely had the Snowpiercer thought while I was watching this movie. I was like, well, I guess if you consider the back of the train to be a basement. (laughs) But what is the caboose but the basement of a train? So, right. This movie is the directorial debut of Bong Joon-ho, who won Best Director and Best Screenplay in 2019 for Parasite. He also directed Snowpiercer and Okja, which are probably his most widely seen movies in the United States, as well as a bunch of other Korean movies. This is his, as I said, his debut. It's made for practically nothing, somewhere in the neighborhood of like $800,000. And we should note, it was a big flop. Based on box office numbers, it seems like roughly 100,000 people saw it in South Korea at the time of its release, which is a disaster. Oh my god. Yeah, that's not great. I feel like the AMC in Georgetown probably has 100,000 people seeing movies in, like, a year? Maybe more than that. Yeah, that place does get crowded. Bong has talked about the fact that, like, his hope was that the movie would break even, and it didn't come anywhere close to that. It was never theatrically released in the United States until people started doing, like, Bong Joon-ho retrospectives in the 2010s. It wasn't released at all in the U.S. until 2010, and that was a straight-to-video release by Magnolia Pictures, as part of their acquisition of Mother to screen that in the U.S. And that's Bong Joon-ho's Mother, not Mother! Exclamation point. Yeah, just Mother, not Mother! I don't know how I never know movie... how to pronounce lowercase Mother with an exclamation point. Yeah, I have not seen the movie either, so I can't really capture the vibe. Yeah, maybe we should watch Mother. Seems like a maybe. weird movie. I have heard things, and I feel like I don't know if they're good or bad things. The movie was incredibly divisive when it came out. Yeah. Mother. I feel like there's too much of a question mark. Yeah. I'm just trying to capture the spirit of the lowercase m. I think it's maybe like a gasp. Like, it's like, mother. (gasps) (laughs) It's not impacting the pronunciation of the word. It's an audible exclamation point. Right. It's the sentiment. Mother. (gasps) Again, I have not seen it, and I cannot accurately gauge... If you think you know how to properly pronounce the title of Darren Aronofsky's film, Mother, you should email us an audio file of yourself saying it out loud to love the love. What is our email address? Is it just love the love at gmail.com? I think it's love the love pod. Yeah. Email us an audio clip of yourself saying the title of Mother. To lovethelovepod at gmail.com. And we will play it on our mother <gasps> episode. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. See, we're on the same page. We're in wow. sync. We're- like, like you're a strange guest that I've welcomed into my home, much to the nervousness of my young wife. I watched the trailer for that movie. Oh, is that mother? <gasps> I thought you were... I thought you were going to tie it back to this, and I was just like, what strange guest was welcomed to do a ho- I guess the I guess in this movie it person? would be the dog. <laughs> yeah. One choice I do really like about this movie, he did not cast any cute dogs. No, that's kind of what makes it work, is that, like, 
obviously, like, I don't really want to do this. You certainly don't really want to do this. But, like, if you got to throw a dog off a roof, like, these are the dogs you want to throw off a roof. <laughs> yeah. And I love an ugly dog. I saw a picture of the world's ugliest dog, and my first thought was, oh, he's so cute. But these dogs are also just like, what is up with Sunja? The way that that dog's fur just, it looks like the dog is wearing a coat. That looks like they dress this dog up in its own fur. It is such a strange look. And the way that the main character's wife just keeps insisting that this dog is the best. And you're looking at it like, what do you possibly see in this thing? Why do you want to live with that in your apartment? It makes sense that that dog costs $300. So I guess because the romance is important to this movie, but it's not like the core of this movie. So we should probably talk about like what it's about. Yeah, just a brief rundown of the plot because the romance doesn't intersect with the other main character, like, at all. Yeah, like, Duna Bay has nothing to do with it. Yeah, I love her. <laughs> She's great. This is her second film. She's so funny in this. She is very funny in this. Apparently, she got the part, not for a small reason, because she was willing to play the character, Hyun Nam, without makeup. And a oh. lot of other people they had talked to were kind of nervous about that. And, of course, she later works with Bong in The Host and is probably best known to U.S. audiences for her appearances in Cloud Atlas and Jupiter Ascending. Ugh. Remember Jupiter Ascending? I have never seen it. Will, we should watch Jupiter Ascending. Maybe it's not for the podcast. I haven't seen it because I am a big Cloud Atlas defender. Yeah. Um, it's weird. It's, it's, it's worse. <laughs> it's not good and it's like not even so bad that it's good it's kind of just bad but it's really interesting and also mila kunis falls in love with a part man part wolf chanting tatum right he's like a dog man yeah it's it's odd. And she's like the queen but of jupiter or something no so her name is jupiter god will she's the queen of the universe oh i knew she was some kind of secret royalty yeah, so there's, like, the space queen died, and somehow her in exact genetic makeup is Mila Kunis, so that means that she's now the queen, and then the queen's children want to kill her and take power for themselves. So that's and who Eddie, Eddie Redmayne Red is. Yes, and Eddie Redmayne is acting harder than any human has acted on screen. Which is kind of saying a lot for him, because he's not a guy who acts softly. No, but it is just... I watched it on a plane, and it was a great movie for a plane because I just sat there and was like, so, huh, so, hmm. I would love to just sit and have the choices in that movie explained to me. You just want to, like, sit down with Lily and Lana with a remote so that you can pause every once in a while. Yeah, I want to watch it with them. So it's not like an interview. I just want to watch it with them so I can occasionally pause it and just be like, so, you directed this. Why did he say it that way? Like, did you do any other takes? Were you <laughs> running short on time? Is this just what he did and you tried to rein it in? Or did you tell him to do more? I love it. Also, just the bees part. Because apparently bees recognize royalty in all forms. So the bees just swarm around Jupiter a lot. Okay, do any of them crawl into her eyes? No. There are no eye bees. Alas. I forgot what movie that is from. That's from real life, my dude. There was a real life woman, I believe in Taiwan, who had bees living in her eyes. Oh, they crawled God. into her tear ducts. 
yep, this is why I purposefully forgot what this is from. And it's because it could happen to you. Yeah, it's horrifying. Oh, that was a Mora episode, wasn't it? No, that was the, I think it was the No Strings Attached Friends with Benefits double feature, speaking of Mila Kunis. (laughs) Ah, yes. She loves bees. It all fits. Now, I believe our plan was to talk about the plot of Barking Dogs Never Bite. Yes. Sorry, got off on a Jupiter Ascending tangent. Again, add it to the list. Or, let's just watch it. Yeah, let's just watch it. Okay, so this movie. It opens with Go Yunju, who is a... I think he's like finished grad school. And he wants to be a professor, but he can't find a job. So he is unemployed. He still, like, hangs out with all of his fellow, like, grad students. He's still in that circle, but he can't get a professorship. And it seems some of them are professors, some are still students, but he's the one that seems the most distraught about everything. So he's doing his best to get a professorship, but apparently the only way to get it is to bribe the head of the school. Right. And he doesn't have a whole lot of money. At one point, we're told his bank account basically has, like, $100 in it. By the way, we should note, a thing I appreciated, on our Fantastic Woman episode, I talked about how I wanted money subtitles in foreign movies, and Magnolia Pictures provided them. Yeah, I also did appreciate that they described everything in bucks, which I think they actually did translate into an understanding for Americans of how much. I really appreciate it. It helps me know what we're talking about. Yeah, it really helps you know, like, 300 is not that many dollars for a dog. So she wasn't spending it all on the dog. Right. Anyway, like you said, so he is struggling because he cannot bribe his way to a professorship. He's also frustrated because there's this damn dog that won't stop barking in his apartment complex, which is annoying because it's noisy and also because you're not allowed to have dogs in this building. Yeah, he seems to be a rule follower. Nerd! It is also just an incredibly annoying bark. It is. And I did appreciate that his friend mentioned on the phone that he heard it too, because this feels like a movie where it genuinely could have been him imagining it. So I thought the twist would be that there was like, no dogs were actually barking, and it was just that he was going crazy at first. A sort of Tyler Dogden situation. Genuinely thought about just hitting stop, leaving my computer, and never returning. <laughs> Not even stopping it. Just putting my computer down and walking away. What? You didn't like the dog fight club? I mean, I would not like a dog fight club. Yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> Michael Vick probably has some thoughts on that. Uh. So, yeah, but I do think this is a movie where a twist genuinely could have been that he was making up the dog barking the whole time. So I was glad that his friend confirmed it, because I'm always a little like, hmm, someone's hearing repetitive noise. Is it a manifestation of guilt, or is it actually there? There's a certain telltale heart vibe to it. Right. But his friend is just like, wow, that dog's annoying, over the phone. Okay, so he is tormented by this dog. At the same time, we have Park Hunem, who is the building's bookkeeper and also custodian, it seems. I think she's mostly the bookkeeper, but, like, does random jobs around, too. I mean, she's not, like, the main janitor, because that's the dude who's cooking dogs in the basement. Right. She just does other odd jobs. So she is friends with Yoon Jung-mi, and they're kind of just hanging out, and Park Yoon-nam wants to become a 
famous person, essentially. Yeah, she wants to be on TV. She wants to be recognized. And her current idol is a woman who stopped a robbery and got put on TV for doing it. Yeah, the mayor recognized her. She's like, great, so I should do something like that. So uh, Go Yunju eventually gets fed up with this dog that's barking all the time. So one day he sees the dog and chases it down, catches it, and comes up with a couple of different plans to try to kill it. At one point, he plans to throw it off the roof of the building. He can't bring himself to do that. Like you mentioned, he tries hanging it by its leash for a while. Can't really bring himself to do that either. It's also not working that well. So eventually, he just shuts it in a cabinet, bars the door, and he's like, the dog will die there, but I don't have to be party to it. Yeah, you're not really supposed to keep your dog's collar on tight enough that it would hang if it was caught. Yeah, it's so pretty it clearly kind of makes sense. Yeah. But also, that dog should have been barking that whole time if it was a dog that was annoying for barking. So you're kind of just like, okay, Yunju, you might have the wrong one already. And so he has a certain degree of peace for the most part. We'll talk about his marriage in a bit. He's now going through his life, still hustling, trying to get that professorship. And then one night he hears a dog barking again. And it's the same bark. It is not a new bark. And... He finally sees it. It's the old lady's dog who was putting out radishes on the roof to dry in the sun. Yeah. So this is the case where he, like, tricks the old lady by, like, rolling fruit down the street. She goes after the fruit. He scoops up the dog and launches himself over a garden wall like he's a wide receiver in the Super Bowl. And then takes the dog and does throw it off the roof. And so this is the first dog that he has now murdered with his own hands directly, so you can see that things are getting worse. The first dog did die and was cooked into a soup by the janitor and shared with the basement man, right? Yeah. There's a person experiencing homelessness who lives in the basement of this building. Yeah, he, like, hides in a pile of rags. Right. And so after this dog dies... So Hyunnam sees him throw it off the roof, and she starts trying to investigate, like, who's the person who's kidnapping the dogs? Who's the person who's killing the dogs? Because now there's two missing dogs, so it's, it's, a, it's a thing that you need to investigate. A rash of crimes. And eventually, she, trying to track it down, finds Yunju's dog, who we'll, we'll get into in a bit, on the roof with the basement guy planning to cook it on a spit. So she takes him down. With the help of her friend. Uh, Icon. <laughs> what a bomb. <laughs> Icon Yoon Jog Mi, the, the store owner. She's so great. And yeah, so it's this movie that has a lot of dog death and a lot of dog peril. As with most Bong Joon-ho movies, a lot of it is about class. Yeah. And it has much less of the comparison, I feel, where you're existing almost entirely in the world of those who are struggling. Right, Whereas part of which I imagine is a budgetary thing, where it's <laughs> all can't. on one location. <laughs> yeah, you can't really show much in general with that kind of budget. But in particular, like, this is a thing Judd Apatow has talked about, when people are like, why have your movies gotten so expensive and they feel the same? And he's like, because now I make movies about rich people, and it's expensive to make movies about rich people, because you have to, like, rent a big house and, like, rent, like, nice cars and stuff like that. Like, it just adds up quickly. Right. But in this, the only real glimpse at the other side is the brief flash of the professor dinner where you pay your way into the full professorship. Right. And that isn't super nice. And it's also entirely lighting. Like, I made the joke about how this movie looks like it was shot for a nickel. 
But I do think it's the kind of movie that you look at and you're like, oh, give this guy a lot more money because they find a lot of interesting things in terms of cinematography and in terms of lighting to create different environments and create different moods. One of the things I like is how aggressively Bong and the cinematographer, Jo Young-gyu, will just change the lighting within the context of a scene. Like the scene in the basement where the janitor is telling basement guy about Boiler Kim and the lighting suddenly changes really dramatically. And I feel like in a lot of movies, they don't like to do stuff like that because they're like, oh, it'll disorient the audience. But you get it. Like, it's a tone shift. And I like how bold they are with the limited choices that are available to them. Right. It's just not even, like, later when the lights actually just black out, but they shut down pretty much everything except for a spotlight in a way where it's not really a natural lighting change. It could be, but it also is... It's definitely not. That's a weird scene. Boiler Kim. Boiler Kim! Uh, I think the rest of the movie will get into the end as part of the romance. So I think we could probably start... We have the context to move into the romantic plotline. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so every week we break down the romantic plotline into five points to guide our discussion. So Will, why don't you bring us to point one? All right, so point one is sort of establishing the relationship... We have our lead, Go Yoon Ju, who is played by Lee Sung Jae. And we have his wife, Yoon Sil, played by Kim Ho Jung. They have clearly been married for not a short amount of time. She's also pregnant. And the relationship is, like, tense. I wouldn't say it's uh, necessarily, like, overtly horrible, but, like... It's really close. Yeah, she is pretty passive-aggressive especially from the drop, she really doesn't like him going out. She's not even that passive-aggressive. She's just aggressive. Especially later when she throws a hammer at him. Yeah. And the thing is, it's hard to know if this is how their relationship has always been or if it's just because it's an extra stressful time. Right. The combination of he, it seems, has not been able to find a job for a while. She is pregnant. They live in this she apartment. She does not like her job. Right. And she also just makes him do things. And does not ask politely or anything. She's just like, crack these and hands him a sack of a ton of walnuts. I was going to say, the thing that she mostly makes him do is crack walnuts. And even going back and getting the milk, which we'll get into later, she never asks if he will do things. She says it in a way that immediately makes him want to say no. It's not a good relationship. No. I am sure it will only be made worse by the arrival of a child. Yes. It's not overtly abusive, but it's just not a good relationship. And it is one where, sort of like you said, I, I think the many pressures of their living situation do not make it better by any means. No. But this brings us to point two, which is the first real crisis point in their relationship. So like I said, she does not like when he goes out and does stuff. And he has successfully dodged getting in trouble before where like he's gone out drinking and come home drunk, which he said he would not do, but she's asleep and he mostly got away with it. But now in point number two, he goes looking for that first dog that he kidnapped. Easily the best of the dogs in the movie. Yeah, the one that can't make noise because of surgery. Right. It's also just cute. Like it's moving in the direction of the game night dog. I mean, it's a Shih Tzu. It's just a classic little Shih Tzu. Yeah. So he goes looking for that dog down in the basement. And he hears a noise, so he has to climb into the cabinet where he had put the dog, which is now gone, and he's tracked in the cabinet 
as he watches the janitor cook this dog in a stew on, like, a little, like, camp stove. And he's trapped there for a while. And while he is down there, his wife wakes up, gives him a phone call, leaves a voicemail, like, if you're not back here in ten minutes, you're dead. And then goes back to sleep. He is trapped there for a little while. The janitor tells the Boiler Kim story about a boiler repairman who died and was buried in the cement of the building. By the time he gets back, his wife is really annoyed with him for having been gone for too long. One of my favorite shots of this movie is him using the camp stove as a light to find his way out of the basement. To me, that is the most stressful scene in the movie. Oh, definitely. He's like holding an open flame up and around. Yeah, the shooting of it was so good. Because you also know he's getting no light out of it. Right. I'm like, don't make me watch this. Chuck another dog off the roof. (laughs) So... This brings us to point three, though, which is post-dog-chuck-off-roof time, right? Right. He has done that. And he's feeling good because he has rid the apartment complex of the barking dog. Right. It's a success. But then... (coughs) Yun-sil, his wife, comes home, and she has with her a dog. And as we have described, this is a ridiculous-looking dog that looks like it's wearing its own fur as a coat. You just look at it and you're like, that dog is going to make too much noise. Yeah, it is not a pretty dog. And he's just astonished. I love, one of the first things he says is like, we live in an apartment. Right. They live in a very small apartment. That dog will fit fine if it is a good dog, considering I also live in a very small apartment for a dog that weighs 50 pounds. But conversely, it does not look like a dog that will be fine. No. He also, we know going through his head, is like, I have $100 in my bank account. Why are we spending money on taking care of a dog? And she keeps insisting, like, no, it's not that expensive. It'll be fine. And he's like, I think it will not be. Right. And then she pulls the, it's my money card. I want to do with it what I want, which is all around not good relationship. (laughs) Always healthy in a marriage. Yes. Always good to pull the, it's my money card. Never forcing a dramatic change on both of you. Yes. He also makes some other arguments. At one point, he tries to argue that dogs are bad for pregnant women. Oh, that they carry diseases. That was so dumb. (laughs) He's clearly just grasping for anything. Yeah, he is just trying his best and obviously will fail based off of what we have seen of Yoon Sil so far. Now, this is where we get to what you brought up, which is they're walking home from the store one night and she tells him, you need to go back to buy some strawberry milk. And he's like, why do I need to do that? And she says, the dog loves strawberry milk. You need to go back for it. Don't feed your dog strawberry milk. It will give them diarrhea. I was going to say, I don't have a dog. I have never had a dog. I likely will never have a dog. But I guessed that strawberry milk was not a core part of the diet. No. It is definitely not something you should be regularly giving your dog because dogs seem like they love everything. Shyla also loves dead rats. I do not want to feed those to her on a regular basis. (laughs) Speaking of wild dog stories, like I said, I watched this movie with my sister and she told me a story about how her coworker was complaining that they were having to deal with the fact that their dog was on its period. And my sister was like, why is that a problem that you're having? And the coworker was like, well, the vet made an appointment for my dog to be spayed, but made the appointment for my dog's birthday. So obviously we couldn't do it on that day. And I haven't had a chance to reschedule it. 
This drives me crazy. Dogs don't know it's their birthday. <laughs> right! If you if you change their schedule too much, then they just get worse overall. Maybe give them one extra little treat to make yourself feel better. But know it is for you and not for them and treat them normally. Ugh. That is a weird pet peeve of mine. <laughs> it's not a bizarre situation. Like, how do you let that happen? Especially if your dog is that close to menstruating because you have to wait till it's over and the dog's like in between right. before you can reschedule. They have to wear their little diaper around. You have to deal with the little diapers. You have to deal with the little diapers. It's, yeah, bad situation. This fight that they have, though, is one of the most ridiculous fights I've seen in a movie in a while. I mean, it is a fight that is clearly about quite a bit more, but because they never expand the fight... It feels so silly and petty. They have narrowed it down. Like the lesser movie, so specifically, the lesser movie would have them like jump to the bigger issues they're fighting about. But it's better because they don't. Right. It's just literally they're fighting over how many meters to the store it is, including him walking in the most ridiculous way. <laughs> He's, like, stretching his legs as far as he can to take big steps, insisting that the distance between his feet is a meter. Which is, it's way more than a meter, too. Because a yes. normal, like, a man his size, his average pace is probably about a meter. This movie is funny. Like, I think we're focusing on the the romantic drama. We talked about a lot of dog danger. This is very much in the keeping of something we have in the United States, which are, like, these black comedies in the 1990s. These things that are funny but quite dark, and this feels like it is of a piece with that, while being obviously very much in tune with what's going on in Korea at the time. Right. And doesn't he, like, bet her that if it's over 100 meters, they get rid of the dog? Yes. And that's when he figures out that the toilet paper roll that they bought is 100 meters, so he just rolls out the toilet paper roll down the street. Which is such a, like, I watched that happen, I was just like, what if there's a car? What is your plan here? (laughs) I would have loved that. That would have been great. I can't remember. Like, is it over 100 meters to the store? It is over 100, but they don't get rid of the Obviously, dog that Obviously, they don't get rid of the dog. But the next day, she goes allegedly to work and leaves him in charge of the dog. And while he's walking the dog around, the dog disappears, which takes us to point number four. Right, so they're spraying for mosquitoes, I guess. So it's super foggy. And then he looks down and the dog is just gone. So now we have a third missing dog besides the two that he murdered. So he looks around. He is looking very hard for the dog. But no luck. Dog gone. Can't find. Yoon-sil gets pissed. Yeah, she accuses him of having lost the dog on purpose. Which... Frankly, is not a terrible guess. I kind of assumed he had been planning on doing that. Yeah, he did not lose the dog on purpose, but he is not putting a lot of work into keeping the dog around on that walk. Right. At one point during the fight, though, she grabs the walnut smashing hammer and throws it at him and hits him in the knee. He chucks it back in the other direction, smashing a window open. Do you think he was trying to throw it at her? I think he might have been, but I wasn't certain. I didn't think so. I thought he was throwing it at the window. Because if he's aiming for her, he is very, very bad at throwing things. See, I thought that was possible. It's it would not fit out in of with sort of the emasculating aspect yeah. of so much of what he experiences. But I feel like if you wanted to make that point, it would be more apparent if you actually like had it be a bit closer. 
because for this, I I didn't think he was trying to throw. I like he threw it, and at first I was like, <gasps> but then when I saw where it went, I did not think he was trying to throw it at her because it was so perfectly centered on the window and very far away from her. Sure. So they're fighting, and she reveals when the money comes up that she was fired from her job for being pregnant, and she got paid something like thirteen thousand in severance. Yeah, 13000 in severance, and she spent 300 on the dog. Right, so it genuinely was not very much money, like she had said. And we know at this point that the bribe is 10000 And she says that she bought the dog for herself. Her plan had been to use most of the severance to buy him a professorship. And he just, like, starts crying, I think. Makes sense. Yeah, they leave that a little hazy, because this is where we cut to Park Kudenam hunting for the dog. Yeah. He spends a lot of time with her tracking down the dog. They eventually rescue it from being roasted on a spit on the roof of the building. And we have point five, our end of the movie. I love the shot of her putting all the money into the cake box and then putting the cake on top of it. And there's not enough room. The strawberry's too tall. Right. The strawberry's too tall. Because, like you mentioned, basically the only way to get a professorship is with a bribe. But he mentions that there are a bunch of people who have been caught and gotten in trouble because they just did, like, bank transfers. Right. So they're sneaking the bribe in in the base of a cake box. It's a pretty good plan. Yeah. So they pack up the cake and he takes the train to the dinner, which we get only in silhouette, essentially. The two of them getting drunk. And he gets the job. Yeah. And in one of the last shots of the movie, this married couple, they are sleeping together with their gross dog, Sunja, sleeping between them. So, Will, after watching all of this, do you find the romance of barking dogs never bite believable? I mostly do. I think it's a very bad relationship, but I think it is plausible, especially given the circumstances that they are in. Right. She is supporting him and pregnant, so she needs him. So it doesn't feel like a situation where they're going to get divorced no matter how bad things are. Right. So I get them still being together. And we're just introduced to it as a bad romance. We don't see any downswing, so you can accept that it is just a bad relationship at the beginning. And I think the stresses of their living situation, their job situations, pregnancy, are all making this relationship more unpleasant. Right. So every week we rate the believability of a romance on a 10-point scale. Where would you rate Barking Dogs Never Bite? My real question is, like, on what grounds should this not be a 10? I don't know. I think it could be a 10. Yeah, because even, like, some of the more comedic parts of it, like the fight that results in the toilet paper roll, that feels true to life. Like, people fighting over stupid stuff as a proxy for larger stuff. Right. And it's more believable that you don't just open up your heart and go into the other stuff on the street. Right. You tend to just fight about the stupid stuff. Yeah, you're trying to protect yourself and dig in on something that feels winnable. I guess the only, maybe just throwing the hammer, but I guess abusive I mean, relationships exist. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think it's a 10. I think this, yeah, I think this might be a 10. It is cool. one of those movies that um, benefits by not being about the romance. Right. Because the more central a romance is, the less likely it is to get a 10 is kind of the vibe I'm getting from our show recently. Okay, Mark, have you been back to the movies yet? Not yet. Okay. I'm trying to, I'm torn because I want to go back so bad, but I also kind of want it to be like special. Mm. So I want to see a movie that I actually want to see. 
See, you brought up movies where the romance is central, and I remembered last weekend I had a wonderful experience, which is seeing a movie in theaters, and when it's done, saying, that was stupid, which is just that yeah. experience that I took for granted. That I do miss that, too. So I have seen Finding You. Do you know what that movie is? No. Okay, you're going to watch it the trailer. It sounds bad. As soon as this episode ends uh it is the latest like going to ireland (laughs) romantic comedy which is the silliest genre that exists i think the silliest genre is the holidays independence day not independence day valentine's day new year's eve i love the idea that independence day is one of the gary marshall (laughs) holiday movies i mean just cutting back you got jeff goldblum the aliens are invading, and then you also cut back, and it's like, well, I guess it's our last night on Earth. Might as well make it special. How am uh, I going to have a date not if to it the really fireworks show? Your... Yeah. I'm going to show you some fireworks. Not if it really was your last night on Earth. But it might be. And then the aliens blow up the White House. Yeah. Uh, anyway, if you want to watch a dumb romance, I highly recommend Finding You. It's quite stupid, but I had a good time. Anyway, back to Barking Dogs Never Bite. Do you think that either Go Yoon-ju or Yoon-sil is dateable? No, I don't. <laughs> no, they're both kind of broken people. Yeah, uh, look, again, I am at best indifferent to dogs, but I don't want to chuck them off a rooftop. Yeah, I am glad that that is your, your, your hard line, Will. Well, it's a form of murder, you know? Wow. We are an anti-murder podcast. It's the hard line we take. It is our hardest our hardest line we draw. Now, Mark, do you think that these two people would stay together? I don't think so. I think they are bad for each other. I think their relationship is kind of toxic, and I don't think a child will make things better. No, they absolutely should not stay together, and uh, hopefully they do not. Yes. If you did have to choose one person in this movie to date, who would you choose? I mean, I think the answer is clearly Yoon Jong-mi, the toy store owner who takes out Basement Man. Yeah, who all she does is basically just, like, run her shop, party in her shop, hang out with her friend. Is a little rude, but I'm into it. She's Yeah, she's And great. then she does fully just deck the man who's trying to chase her friend. In a movie full of terrible or, at best, vain people, she's the bomb. She is who she is. Okay, I'm very curious. Do you think this movie should be made into a musical? No, but I would love to see it. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm... I think it would be a crazy show that you could do a musical at, like, midnight, off, off, off Broadway. I think it would work as a play. I mean, it's very much confined to the one space of this apartment complex. It's only got a couple of characters. I think you could do interesting stuff with it on stage. But I don't know yeah. that music is the root for it. Although I did really enjoy the score for this. It's kind of jazzy. Yeah, I thought the score reminded me of Frasier. And I thought okay, that was sure. a good thing. It was a very, it's got like, that, like, plucky jazz- bass with, with piano vibe. Right, and it's this jazzy 90s scoring. It's kinda, it is kind of sitcom scoring, which I think is a good choice in a movie where a dog gets thrown off a roof. It's like Seinfeld score. Right. It really doesn't match the tone, but also perfectly matches the tone. It's great. Right. Okay, well, I think that about does it for Barking Dogs Never Bite. Mark, I'm sorry that I didn't warn you what it was about, but I'm also glad that I did that. I read some of the Wikipedia 
after the first like two minutes. So I was emotionally prepared for the rest of the movie to deal with the rest of the dogs. I'm glad. As soon as the dog was like hanging by its neck in the basement of an apartment building three minutes in, (laughs) I was kind of like, I think spoilers have gone out the window. I got to know what's coming. All right. Well, we're going to make a sharp tack in a different direction next week as we look at the indie hit of the late 2000s, Mark Webb's 500 Days of Summer. A movie I have never seen, and I'm very curious about it. I have also never seen it. I feel like it's the first movie where I was, like, aware of abundant discourse about it. Yeah, it's one of the first... It's, like, the the cornerstone of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl debate, I feel. Yeah. And I am excited also to one... look into it. Yeah, especially because it's also one where there's a lot of debate about, like, should this even be part of that conversation? Right, because oh, I feel like the best debate in the Manic Pixie Dream Girl conversation usually ends up being about the viewpoints of men towards women and whether men are imposing Manic Pixie Dream Girls onto the women who are just being normal, which is one of the defenses I've heard of this movie, so I'm curious to look into it. Yeah, so that'll be a good conversation for us. Or, on the other hand, based off of other people's point of view, it could just be a bad movie. Yeah. But it's on Hulu, so we'll watch it and you can too. <laughs> Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love to Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovetolovepod at gmail.com. You can also email us your audio recording of your pronunciation of the title of Darren Aronofsky's film, Mother. <gasps> Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show, and I love reading reviews, even the bad ones. Last question, Mark. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from Barking Dogs Never Bite? Oh, that's tough. There's not a lot of dating in this movie. Well, relationship advice. I know, but I'm just like, if they're pregnant, they'll probably stick around. (laughs) That's horrible advice. (laughs) I know, but that's a horrible marriage in this movie. I thought of multiple pieces of dating advice. One, if you're engaged in hammer throwing, make sure you don't aim it near your partner. Two, terrible. Don't don't throw hammers. <laughs> like recreationally. Like people go to axe throwing. Yeah, but that's not what happens in this movie. <laughs> right, but I'm trying to tease some advice out here. <laughs> okay. Uh, another one. If someone reaches out to you that you don't know and says that they represent a celebrity who wants to date you, it's probably a lie. Oh, that's good advice. I forgot about that part. Yeah, don't get catfished. Don't get catfished. Um... I thought of something else. I mean, it is good to financially support your loved ones in situations where they need it, but also don't hold that over their head in your relationship. All right. See, we got stuff. There you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Mother!